0: Hello and welcome once again to another edition of Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols. The topic for today's program is occupational therapy. What is it? How is it used? What benefit arises from the use of it? And to tell us all about it, I have with me in the studio Professor Susan Ryan. She's the Department Head of School of Health Sciences at the University of Newcastle. Susan, thank you very much for coming in. I know that your time is very precious, so we very much appreciate your coming in. It's a pleasure to be here. Perhaps we can start with your involvement with occupational therapy. What attracted you to it in the first place?
1: Well, I was um, living in Malaysia at the time. I I had uh, been married and had my children, and I was looking for a profession. And previously, when I was younger, I had considered physiotherapy and teaching. And then one day in Malaysia I met a Canadian occupational therapist and I thought, that sounds really interesting. It's wide, it works with people of all different ages, and I thought... I will investigate this when I'm in another country, when I have the opportunity. So when I came to Australia, uh, that's exactly what I did.
0: Where did you end up studying for the profession?
1: Yes, I went to Cumberland College in Sydney. Mm. Um, I uh, arrived, as soon as I arrived in Australia, I went there and said, I really want to do this. They said, you have all the biological sciences you needed. But they said, we've already started our programme. So they advised me to go away and find a job um, and then to come back and apply for next year as a mature age student. And I did that and I became an occupational therapy assistant at the Royal North Shore Hospital, working with the occupational therapists there. And how long did it take you to qualify? Uh, at that time, it was three and a half years. Mm. Did you do sort of practical work while you were studying Yes, mm. this is a requirement, and it still is a requirement that mm. throughout the program you do quite a few blocks, several weeks blocks um, it 's a minimum of a thousand hours and when i was When I went through the program, I did an internship after as well for three mm. months
0: So when did you start teaching?
1: Well, I did a lot of other things, interesting things before the teaching. As soon as I had qualified, I went to India back with my husband and uh, started a program for children um, with polio. That's something that we don't hear very much of these days. No, I had uh, literally a quarter of a page of notes from Cumberland on polio because it just it wasn't in Australia mm. in the 1970s, early 80s. Um, it was certainly in the 1950s but uh, unicef sent me to this indian organisation and i was in charge of the rehabilitation and my colleague my indian colleague was in charge of the education and we decided to focus on having the children in a school, which is a normal setting, not a, yeah. a hospital or a clinic, and we would give them therapy as they needed it. But all these children, uh, we knew that they would never recover, um, and so it was to make the best of their possible life. And we, um, I worked there for six years, and the other special feature of that was that it was an integrated school, Half the children had polio and half did not. But the other half who did not came to the school because we provided uniforms, we provided food programs, and they were very, very poor, and uh, that attracted them to the school.
0: Did you find that the children that were not affected by polio became more tolerant to those who were?
1: Well, in India it's different. People with disabilities just are a part of the community, often kept inside then, um, but nevertheless people were very used to them and mm. I, I guess used to seeing them around. But um, what they weren't used to is helping these people to to manage and get a, a huge amount of meaningful life, I guess. Mm. Um, and so this is what I tried to orchestrate
0: through the programme. So you were in India for six years? Six years. And then you came back to Australia? No, I then went to England
1: and I worked in a day centre with older people, mm. mostly with physical disabilities, um, some with some mental health problems. Um, And that was fascinating. And I was um, not just an occupational therapist. I was sort of a key worker, they call it. And I worked with particular individuals to make sure their whole program was um, interesting for them and gave them an interesting life. And sometimes I went to their homes to see if they needed um, specialized equipment, but more it was just to make sure that each and every day was meaningful and interesting for them.
0: So when you left England, did you come to Australia then?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I was in England uh, at that time because I actually had been born in England. And mm. this is why uh, I, I went. Could I just say that my daughters lived in Sydney mm. and that every year I came back to Australia? Mm. Um Also, if I really need to thank Cumberland, because as soon as I was stuck, I contacted my lecturers and they were wonderful and they still I'm still in touch with some of them today.
0: Oh, that's great. Yes, Yes.
1: it is great. So there was a constant contact and I was Mm. a member of obviously a member of the Australian Occupational Mm. Therapy Association. I still am. I'm accredited here, but uh When I was in England, I realized that there was absolutely nothing to further my education. And I realized that after about eight years of working, I really was on a plateau and I didn't quite know what to do. So I went to America and I did my master's in occupational therapy in Mm -hmm. Columbia University in America. And that was a fascinating experience. So I combined the the theory and the history that I I learned there with the very much applied knowledge that I'd got from Sydney. And after two and a half years, I went to back to England and then I started teaching. And it, I started teaching, trying to marry up the two from Australia and America. And I think, hopefully, I did that. You've had a very
0: varied career, haven't you?
1: <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, I did my doctorate, uh, doctoral degree in England. So I really have three degrees from three different continents. Mm. And perhaps that's why I got this position here in Newcastle when I applied for it. So you've been in Newcastle how long? 16 months. Are you happy with Newcastle? Oh, I love living here. Mm. I love that. And I really enjoy working with the students. We have a a small staff team, but very uh, energetic. And uh, we are revising our programme, as we have to do anyway, and uh, lots of good ideas are happening. But m- more than that, I'm working with the students
0: quite a lot. You're listening to Wellbeing, and today I'm talking to Professor Susan Ryan. Professor Ryan, when you came here to Newcastle, did you have any particular aims or goals to add to what the normal teaching for your students That's an interesting
1: question. Whenever I go to, uh, well, it's a new country in the sense of working here, I always spend time meeting people and talking to people and watching. Um, And I did that. I spoke to all the staff individually. But I used to pick out what I called my bright buttons, the students that looked very interesting. Um, I would just pick them out and say, come and talk to me. And I want to listen. I want to find out um, how the program is for you, how um, we can improve it. And as a result of that, I'm now in the middle of a research study, um, listening to the voices of students from our program at Newcastle. And I hope Maybe, depending on the findings that might go australia wide but it might not if the finding de- it mm. depends really what we find.
0: How many young people in average go through the profession in a year in Newcastle
1: right we've had um, a quite a large increase in students last year we had over a hundred in our first year. some of them um, weren't sure that they wanted to be occupational therapists others really wanted to be physiotherapists, but the majority didn't. Mm. The majority did want to be occupational therapists, but you always get a little um, group Mm. that is not sure or wants something else. So um, at the moment, we're going through with smaller years in years three and four, but now in years one and two with 80, 90, 100. That's quite a lot of people. It is, yes. Mm. So we've had to change our program. We've had to look at that. I think it's just very important to try and keep the standard
0: of education really high, but uh, change the way we do things. When the students come to you, they've had some sort of medical background, as in perhaps doctoring or nursing? No, they don't have to. They, most A lot of
1: them come straight from school. We do say that they should have biological sciences and maybe some chemistry. Um, I think the, particularly the biological sciences is very helpful um otherwise uh no they don't have Mm. to have any uh, special background a love of people i think um it's such a people profession if Mm. you can't get on with people if you can't
0: talk to people you know you just will not be a good occupational therapist you mentioned that some of them maybe go on to be would prefer to be physiotherapists what's the difference between an occupational therapist Mm -hmm. and a physiotherapist
1: I think it's very um, very specific because physiotherapy is about working with the body the joints and muscles and, and the articulation of the whole body in occupational therapy it's much more holistic we look at the person themselves and what they like to do in their normal everyday life. But we also look at where they live, their environment, and uh, and them themselves. So it's much more of a holistic way of looking at a person. And so we are crossing between the medical and the social divide all the time. So it's not so
0: medical as physiotherapy. Most of us, I think, probably think of going to or being seen by an occupational therapist as the follow-up from an accident or perhaps a stroke. Is this necessarily so? Well, yes,
1: you would see um, an occupational therapist in both those instances, very much so, because the whole point we're trying to do is to get the person back into their old way of life, their old occupations, as we say. But uh, if that's not possible, then we have to work with the person and and the person's family and we have to see well what is possible because sometimes after an accident a person might be in a wheelchair Mm. they might uh, have a high level of quadriplegia in which case then um, they would have to live in a very specialized uh, house they Mm. would have to live a totally different life to what they've had before With uh, someone who's had a stroke, it really depends where the stroke was in the brain and it really depends how severe it was. Um, Some people just recover normally Mm. and get back to their old life. Some get back to their old life but with a little help from us. Uh, We would give maybe specialised equipment, adaptations to their home, and we might talk and give other suggestions of things that they might like to do if they can't do
0: the things they wanted to do before. Does an occupational therapist usually specialise in one particular area, and by that I mean with the elderly or the young, mm. um, or is it a, a wholly integrated profession where they see a bit of everyone? I think uh, to to be fair to
1: say, in the four years at Newcastle and in all the other courses, mostly uh, it's a generalist. You you Mm -hmm. come out, it's a generalist degree, you come out with um, a broad view of um, working with people with mental health problems, all different ages. And uh, what we would expect is that people learn themselves, learn from practice, but continue reading, continue researching the literature and we would expect them to specialize then um, if they want to,
0: but you can, as a doctor can continue mm-hmm. being a generalist as well. You mentioned about them going into the the patient's home and and integrating with the family. Do they also work with them in the hospital before they're released
1: home? Yes, they do. Um, And and very often in some countries, they actually, if if the um, problem is what we call an elective surgery, where you might have a hip replacement or something to do with one of your other joints, we would go to the home even before the operation Mm. just to make sure that the home is safe Um, and then we would follow them in the hospital and back out to home again but as we have prepared the home beforehand um, they assimilate very quickly Mm. into their old way of life with maybe some rails
0: some new adaptions. I sometimes think on a personal basis that I know of two men who had Um, severe rheumatoid arthritis Mm -hmm. and the lady of the house taught them to knit to keep their hands moving and free is this the sort of thing or does that go back to to my childhood right I think there's a lot of
1: things to say about rheumatoid arthritis the medications have changed tremendously mm-hmm. and you don't see the deformities in the hands and the problems that we saw 20 or 30 years ago so maybe pe- older people now you would see those deformities mm-hmm. um, it does depend on what activities you do and what your interests are just for instance knitting there's a lot of repetition in knitting I would probably work with the person but I would put a question mark whether I would give them knitting. Mm. Um, You do want to keep their joints supple. You do want them to use their hands as much as they can but whether knitting is a good thing uh, over a period of time I would really question Mm. that. I'm not an expert in this area. Um, (laughs) If I worked with someone I'd just make sure I found out beforehand.
0: Yeah Um, so that that's sort of the picture that a lot of people have that it's handicraft, using their skills just to keep their limbs moving or whatever it is. Is that a true picture or is that a bit lopsided? I, I think it's not lopsided. It's how
1: it was. Mm. Um, but like all professions, like dentistry, like surgery even, mm. uh, it's changing. And we really would prefer to get people to work with people doing meaningful activities that they want to do rather than just do what in the literature is referred as tabletop activities, which are more or less meaningless to the person, although it does produce the movement. Um, so we would prefer them to do things that they like to do. Now, if you do tabletop activities, as some therapists do, I think it needs to be explained very carefully to the person why you're doing this. Um, otherwise, it can be boring
0: and repetitious. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, And today I'm talking to Professor Susan Ryan from the University of Newcastle. Susan, I understand that occupational therapy can be involved with helping children with learning difficulties and how they can manage at school. Does How does this come about? How do the children find you and how do the you find the children
1: if I could just talk about working with children um, because that's only just a part of what we would do more and more I think all the health professions realize that the earlier you work with the child um, the more um, success you might have or whether success is the correct word or not but the more um, you might achieve, shall we say. Mm. But we would work with children who were not developing as a typical child. We don't use the word normal because there Mm. is no such thing as a normal child, but a typical developing child, you can say. So we would work with children who, say, weren't sitting up by 12 or 18 months, Mm -hmm. or maybe not even holding their head up after eight months. You know, you you can tell there's very clear stages of typical development. We would work with a team, we would work with physiotherapists as well, and we would work very much with the family. So it's not just learning disabilities or difficulties, it's um, any developmental disability Or difficulty, and it's also with emotional problems as well. Um, we would; uh, there are groups of therapists who would work with um, those children mm. who have maybe psychological problems as well. But those are specialised
0: areas. More. Let's go back to the child who was not sitting up and doing those general things. Would you be contacted by the hospital to? From they'd mm. keep an eye on this child as a normal course of events. Mm-hmm. So would they contact you and say, look, we have a little E here who need your help. Is that how you get involved?
1: I think each country I've worked in is different. So much depends on how the health service is organised and particularly in your local area, how they have decided to work. So obviously um, uh, the other thing is that the, the doctors and the nurses who are in more contact with these children must be also aware of the teams of um, allied health professionals. So... Um, A lot would depend on how the referral system goes, and it would be different. Um, In some countries, people can refer themselves. I know in New South Wales, there's some occupational therapists working in private practice, and people obviously in private practice can just go Mm. into them. But doctors would also refer to them, and um, nurses, hopefully. And I think it's one of our messages of what we do and how we do it that um, I think is very important. And this is why this opportunity to talk to you today is so um,
0: important for the profession. If we have um, a child who's managed to get through to start school and is obviously just not coping, Does that come under your guise as well? It could do. Now, in America, 48% of occupational therapists work in
1: the school system. Mm. But that's reflective of the whole system, the way that the whole uh, medical um, Mm. organization is set up. Here, it's not so much. um, And it's more in the non-government organizations, I think. As well, so I think it 's a growing area here. I have many th- um, students who would like to work in schools more, having said that, we do work in schools here, but it 's not as
0: large as it
1: is in America
0: if they 're involved with the school, the teachers are involved, and the other children that, yeah. so that they can explain to them as a as a group that this child is not not making progress the same rate as you are. We need, they need a bit of your help as well. This is what we're doing. Probably you wouldn't go around it that way. You'd probably... Mm. You
1: might... Now, this is, again, depending on how this uh, it's set up. But you might work with the child. You might actually watch the child. And some uh, schools have teaching assistants. Mm. You might work with the teaching assistant. You might work with the teacher... Depending on what the actual uh, reason is that you're there, whether you would say anything to the other children or not, I think each person would have to be taken individually and looked Mm. at. It's very um, very special. You probably wouldn't make uh, uh, you know say things like a general thing a general Mm. thing like Mm. that. You
0: would um, work with very much with the others that are involved. I get the feeling from. Listening to you that part of the uh, work of the occupational therapist is to improve um, the person's self esteem yes, I think
1: um, and anything that you do that will enable someone or we use in the literature it uses words like enable empower they 're very grand words, but maybe just to to help them. Over that hump to just do a little bit more than they can do before will improve their self esteem anyway. Mm. So often, often we would work in that way and we would see a natural improvement in their self esteem. Otherwise, mm. we could set up groups that will help um, to engender that
0: self esteem. We've talked about children. Um, and even babies in in this situation, but they're not the only people that you work with. You go into um, residential homes for the for the elderly, yes, and also for those people who have a, a mental health problem. Yes, there
1: it's it is as I said. The four years at Newcastle is a generalist degree. We would try and cover uh, all of these areas and all of these people and different ages. But obviously, you can see that the wider it is, the less deep you can go. And that is why it's absolutely crucial to continue and do continuing professional development, master's degrees, um, anything. Uh, you can get certified. You can be a certified hand therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different courses in, in Australia, driving for older people um, or people with um, Problems and uh, memory problems, or something mm. they do driving. There's a lot of different um, certificates that you could get, but in other countries, and that is
0: different in all countries. If someone listening to this program is interested, A, in getting into the profession, how would they go about it? I think if you, well, we would very much
1: welcome mature age students. I do want to say this because. A mature age person, and I was one as well, has a lot of life experience, and we would expect them to use that life experience in the program and build on what they know. Um, I want to get away from the idea that this is just book knowledge. It's not. It's about life knowledge and uh, looking at life in a very broad way. It's about people and life, I guess. So... um, There's a special route for mature age students, but people coming from school and anyone listening to this program with a young um, daughter or son, um, that is the normal uh, route
0: that you go to any university. So if for people not living within the Newcastle area, but even interstate, Mm -hmm. they could go to um, their nearest university and, and get inquiries from there? Yes, I I do believe so. I'm not quite sure what happens um interstate, um
1: but certainly in New South Wales you would there there's four university programs in New South Wales and um I suppose you can um apply to any one of those. They are all different and they all reflect they all have to meet a certain standard for accreditation, but they do reflect the staff that are there and the uh, directions um that those staff are researching in. So this makes, uh, I would like to see people really looking at that very carefully when they apply. Mm. So there's Newcastle, there's Sydney, there's Charles Sturt University um, and the University of Western Sydney.
0: Professor Susan Ryan, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. Let's hope that next year we can go a little further into individual styles of occupational therapy. But in the meantime, thank you very much for coming in. A pleasure. My guest today has been Professor Susan Ryan, Deputy Head of the School of Health Sciences at the University of Newcastle. From all of us here in the team, this is Iris Nichols saying thank you for listening and we wish you well.